as the research shows, people are starting to appreciate how much sleep is critical. One of the recent discoveries is that, you know, there's stages of sleep. So if you're just getting superficial sleep or you're getting interrupted sleep, you're not going into the deep levels of sleep that it takes time to get into and you need a certain percentage of your sleep during the night to be in these deep stages. And one of the critical stages of deep sleep is brain cleans out. Our cells literally shrink up, spinal fluid comes in and cleans out the toxins in our brain. And what they're finding is if you don't have good quality sleep, plus not a good hours of sleep that you're actually dedicating to sleep, you get higher levels of dementia. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. This is the Health, Medicine, and Bioscience Edition. I have uh, Dr. Mark Abramson. Uh, he's a TMJ dentist and a sleep apnea dentist. Uh, he does these treatments in San Francisco, uh, San Jose, all the way down to the Monterey Peninsula. He's also, you know, we get his service in Northern California with these things. Um, we're going to be talking about not CPAPs, but oral appliances, uh, these devices that help advance people's jaws when they snore or have apnea, uh, help give them some relief when they sleep. And uh, Dr. Everson has designed at least one or more devices that are unique and have some additional features. So uh, glad to talk to Mark. Thanks for coming. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Good to talk to you again. Um, yeah. So let me let me start with kind of an overview of uh, how important sleep is. Uh, we're finding out more every day. Um, there's literally research articles coming out continuously uh, showing how critical, not just the time that you sleep, which we're getting as a society, um, much more uh, limited sleep because of staying on television overnight and the computers and the lights that we have on all the time. Um, I know I had a place out in the country that I was kind of off the grid, and when it got dark, I'd go to sleep, maybe put a little fire on and, and go to sleep very early and then wake up you know, when the sun came up and be sensitive to the day and night cycles. When you were in that cabin environment, how did you feel sleep-wise? You know, your mental state first, you can help, you know, you suffer the city. Well, you, you feel better. I mean, that's, that's our natural cycle that we really should be living under, but we've gone away from that because of, you know, first of all, lights, television, computers, the main thing. Uh, we don't, uh, you know, have enough respect for sleep, but as the research shows, people are starting to pre- uh, appreciate how much uh, sleep is critical. One of the recent discoveries is that uh, you know there's stages of sleep. So if you're just getting superficial sleep or you're getting interrupted sleep, you're uh, not going into the deep levels of sleep that it takes time to get into, and you need a, a certain percentage of your sleep during the night to be in these deep stages. And one of the critical stages of deep sleep is our brain cleans out. Our cells literally shrink up, spinal fluid comes in and cleans out the toxins in our brain. 
And what they're finding is if you don't have good quality sleep plus not a good hours of sleep that you're you're actually uh, dedicating to sleep, um, you get higher levels of dementia. And so this has really wakened a lot of people up because that's the big fear that we all have is is developing dementia someday. But the other impacts are heart disease, stroke, um, heart attack. So sleep is is critical to good health. Um, the human airway is unique, and because of our actual what we're doing right now, speaking, and in order to be able to speak, we had to loosen up and open up our throat. And because of that, we're liable uh, to get blockages of our throat when we go unconscious into sleep. And when uh, we get blocked, we are literally choking, and at some point we arouse ourselves to wake up and start breathing again, but we've interrupted our sleep cycle and not and limited our deep sleep that we can get. Now, the treatment for this traditionally has been CPAP, which pumps high pressure through your nose uh, and to basically create a air splint in the back of your throat to keep it from being blocked. Um, it works great because you can turn up the pressure to any volume you need, but the irritation from that starts to interrupt sleep, and the annoyance of having to wear CPAP uh, is very... Uh, problematic for people, and 50% and of people fail at least and give up on it. But more than that, another 50% don't want to try it to begin with. So you might say that 20 to 25% of people actually get treated with CPAP. Now, the medical community has been kind of married to this, and um, their training says CPAP, CPAP, CPAP. Dentists started providing oral appliances that pull the jaw forward and keep the throat open at night. And uh, what's happened over time is oral appliances are becoming much more accepted and, and utilized um, by patients. The acceptance with the patient and the continual use is, is uh, much higher than CPAP. And research has shown that for mild to moderate uh, sleep apnea, that oral appliances are equally effective when you take in all the factors. Um, severe. Quick uh, question here about um, you said CPAPs at least fifty percent just can't tolerate it, and a lot of them don't even want to get it in the first place. But I understand why. Um, with oral appliance, what's the compliance range, and what are some of the roadblocks to people successfully using oral appliance? Well, the the acceptance of it is very high, and uh, you know maybe in the nineties. You know, it's, it's wow. Yeah, it's very high. Uh, and people use it longer hours. What happens with CPAP is in a night, uh, acceptable level of using CPAP is considered four hours, but uh, oral appliances uh, are usually used from seven to eight hours during the night. So you get a longer time of uh, uh, treatment and ability to go into deep sleep. So you know, when when they do crossover studies where they, like for two months, you're going to use CPAP and, and then you can switch over and use oral appliances for two months. Uh, at the end of the study, people want to continue using the oral appliance rather than the CPAP. With the, um, I, I didn't know that. So people will use a CPAP even if they do use it, usually for about half the night? Yeah, the, the bar for saying acceptable treatment is actually fairly low. It's four hours a night for four hours, for four nights a week, which is, you know, not really adequate. So, uh, um, but, you know, I don't care how you do it. I, I think people need to sleep, and I'm not anti-CPAP. I just uh, want people to have availability of all treatments and find the best that works for them. 
Well, physiologically, if um, if that's happening, does that mean that people are preferentially getting deep sleep but not getting REM sleep if they're on CPAP? Or are they getting like abbreviated versions of both? Like what would happen to their sleep architecture over time because of this? Well, every, everybody's different, and, and a sleep study, a full night sleep study shows a percentage of both deep sleep, which we call slow-wave sleep or uh, delta sleep, and REM sleep um, in deep or delta sleep. That's when the brain gets cleaned out. Uh, REM sleep is when we consolidate memory and kind of uh, restore and refresh the brain and, and, uh, and learn, uh, you know, basically solidify our learning for the day. Uh, so the deep level and REM are, are critical, and when your sleep is interrupted, you have to start on the superficial levels, and you have less and less. So some people have no REM sleep, and some people have no deep sleep. So it, it depends on the individual. But overall, um, you know, when you have use a CPAP, if you're using it successfully, you're going to have a restoration of deep and REM sleep, and the same should happen with oral appliance therapy. And done. Okay, I just didn't know if um, again if there was a preferential non or non preferential loss of a particular type of sleep due to CPAP, you know, non compliance or non acceptance or inability. You know, is it the first half of the night that tends to get compromised, or the second half of the night? That's why I was wondering. Uh, no, um, we have more REM sleep in the second half of the night as as our sleep cycles go on. We go up and down and sleep all night long. We have four four to five cycles of 90 minutes uh, cycles of sleep. But, um, and REM gets larger and larger. That's why you, REM is, is when you have dreams. And that's why you remember your dreams in the morning, because that's really when you had most of that cycle. But anything that interrupts sleep is going to limit the amount of both deep sleep and REM sleep. Okay. Just want to make sure. So back to oral appliances. So the, the acceptance rate is super high, which is great. Um, for listeners that don't know, how do they work? Well, they they primarily work by pulling the jaw forward. Just like if you took a CPR course, you have to bring the jaw forward and tip the head back to be able to breathe for somebody. Um, so, but uh, so pretty much all the oral appliances on the market act solely by pushing the jaw forward. What I did is I realized there were two other uh, problems that oral appliances weren't addressing. One was nasal blockage or resistance, uh, the harder to breathe through your nose or not being able to breathe through your nose. And the other is the way we've developed habits of using our throat and swallowing, which make the muscles weak. And what I did is I found a way to actually do multiple actions of uh, addressing different areas with one appliance. So it's kind of like your phone doesn't just make phone calls. It does all kinds of other things. And so what I did is I incorporated three different actions uh, affecting three different areas of the upper airway. And because of that, we get really good results. And there's just a published study showing how the OASIS, which is my system, uh, is effective for severe cases of sleep apnea and high, at very high levels which is an improvement in overall effectiveness of oral appliances. So a normal appliance, it'll you'll put it in your mouth like a mouth guard and it'll pull your lower jaw forward, like you'll set it to a certain advancement of your lower jaw. Is that how it works? Exactly. And what um, when you advance your lower jaw, I mean, how far do you advance it? You know, do people advance it a lot or a little bit? Is it a millimeter? Or, you know, what's the measurement? Well, think about how far you can protrude your jaw. 
it's usually about 70 or 80 percent of that some appliances overstretch it like you know an athlete who's the trainer stretching their hamstring out you know they can lift their legs so far but if somebody pushes it for them they can go further that's called passive stretch some appliances apply passive repositioning to overextend it but our appliance is about 70 80 percent of what you can push your jaw forward is there any benefit to simply keeping the jaw as it is when you're awake, just prevented from going backwards? A, a little bit, but if you have apnea, you have to. Uh, you can keep the jaw from falling back, which is helpful. Um, but pretty much, if you have apnea, you need some sort of repositioning forward. And how much of the mouth space is taken up by a typical appliance? You know, how do you? Where can the tongue go? Is it restricted in its movement? You know, how do you breathe properly? Well, when you bring the jaw forward, the whole purpose of bringing the jaw bone forward is to bring the soft tissue with it. And that's actually one of the problems I addressed is that sometimes the jaw, the tongue itself is kind of rolled up in the back of the throat and hasn't been functioning well. And the muscles of the throat are weak. And I developed um, uh, a, a part of my appliances, a system that uh, keeps the throat from being lazy and helps the tongue go up to the palate where it's supposed to be. So we were helping the tongue position itself uh, correctly and to use and, and to swallow and use the throat better, which strengthens the, the muscles there. We're also using it for kids with speech pathology, kids who have lisp and tongue thrust. And we make a little tiny version with the pads that go to the root of the tongue and they wear it at night when they're sleeping, and it makes them use their throat correctly because they can't be lazy with their throat. And in about four months, they're speaking normally. It's really cool, actually. It's really cool. Yeah, it is. So, all right, so a, a typical oral appliance will advance the lower jaw. So can you recap again, what, what are the elements that yours includes, you know, the oasis that's there in, in addition to that? Yeah, so let's start with nasal dilation. So the, if you're breathing right now through your nose, which you're supposed to, people ask me, how often should I breathe through my mouth? And my answer is as often as you eat through your nose. Um, so you want to be always breathing through your nose because you produce uh, nitric oxide in your nose, which is an important chemical for the oxygen to get into the red blood cells and then be delivered to the mitochondria where you use it. So you want to breathe, you want to be able to breathe through your nose and you want to breathe be able to breathe with less work to do that. So the first component is nasal dilation, which we do from inside the mouth. If you just blow up your cheeks right now, your upper lip, you'll notice that you can breathe easier through your nose. And that's um, kind of what the appliance does from inside the mouth. Uh, we bring the jaw forward like all appliances. And then we have pads that go to the root of the tongue to activate and position the tongue properly. And so we have three different actions in one appliance, and it actually takes up less space in inside the mouth than, than uh, a lot of other appliances do. So um, we, we've designed it to make the inside of the mouth where the tongue is the least uh, obstructed by having anything in there. And um, what do people experience when they first use it? Is it weird? Is it hard to get used to, or like what happens over the first few nights? Well, I think the analogy and what I use with my patients is that I say that this is a foreign object. You're, you know, if all things being great, you wouldn't uh, put anything in your mouth at night. You just go to sleep. Um, but this is like glasses for your throat. You know, if you need glasses, you put them on, and they're not there to be comfortable or to be, um, you know, beautiful. 
they're there so you don't have to strain your eyes to see um, and you can relax and walk around and function in your life. When you wear an oral appliance for sleep apnea, your brain loves it because, first of all, breathing easier through your nose relaxes your whole body. Um, second, you're not having interruptions. So it's a foreign object, but actually most people report that, you know, they actually like wearing it and feel better with it because they're, they know that they're sleeping better and your brain unconsciously uh, wants it. So we've had a number of people, including myself, that they say if, you know, if they decide, oh, I want to take a break and not wear it tonight, that they can't fall asleep until they put it in and the brain kind of says, okay, I'll, I'll fall asleep now because I know I'm not going to struggle all night. What what happens if uh, you're congested? You know, you've got right out of air, uh, you just don't breathe through your nose for a long time. You're not used to it. Can you still use it? Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, and the reason it's a good question because I've had uh, full blown flu for a number of number of times, and other people reported, and can't, your whole face is swollen and congested, and you feel like, well, I'm not going to be able to use this. But you put the appliance in, and five minutes later, the nose drains, and you can breathe through your nose all night. So it actually. Uh, uh, can benefit you. I'm, I've been amazed at times that I was really sick and I can't believe I'm falling asleep and breathing through my nose uh, all night long with the flu that I had. Um, if you, if you, you know, you wonder how people who are mouth breathers, uh, it's so irritating. And you, you know, if you're a nose breather and you're not never breathe through your mouth and you're congested, it's like, uh, you know, it's just terrible to have to breathe through your mouth, uh, even for one night. So this actually helps that. If you are congested, your nose is blocked, or just swollen, can you breathe through your mouth using the oral appliance or you have to breathe through your nose to use it? You can breathe through your mouth if you need to, but we we want you breathing through your nose for a, for, the, for a lot of good reasons. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just know, you know, um, like for myself, for instance, for years, my nose was always stuffed up until I changed my diet. Now it's better, but still. But some people, I'm sure, they have, you know, their nose is always a mess and they breathe through their mouth and... You know, the appliance would make him sleep better, I'm sure, but they, they're just not going to be able to transition the nose breathing maybe right away. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm saying. What Part of what I'm trying to do is get them to be able to breathe through their nose and change them to nose breathers. And like okay. you, so 30% of people absolutely need the nose address. So if you had sleep apnea and you're using an oral appliance, what it sounds like for you is you would want to use the Oasis because this is the one appliance that's going to, help you breathe through your nose better uh, if you just bring the jaw forward uh, with people who uh, have problems they're not going to get as good a result you know their mouth breathers because your tongue has to be in the wrong position when you're breathing through your mouth you have your your tongue's down and back and uh, it kind of throws everything off so you you want to okay. your tongue at the roof of your mouth touching skin of your palate lips together breathe through your nose that's that's what I Tell people the period at the end of the sentence when you stop talking is is to form that posture, breathe through your nose. Is there, um, you know, when people use the oral appliance as their training, it sounds maybe silly, but do they need training on how to breathe through their nose and how to position their tongue properly? Yeah, yeah. We uh, give them simple exercises to do that, reminders. And they, once you can breathe through, the research shows that if you can breathe through your nose, your, your brain's going to elect to do that. So basically you kind of build the field and they will come. Uh, if you open the nose and make it easy to breathe, you'll start breathing through your nose. So what do people experience uh, first night using it versus subsequent nights? 
But how long does it take them to get used to it? Well, usually not long. It's surprisingly easy to get used to. Um, we tell patients, you know, like the first couple of weeks, they're getting just like getting used to wearing your glasses. You know, you've got something that's not usually there. But again, if you can fall asleep and sleep deeper, you're going to treasure that. And so, um, you know, it's it's surprisingly easy to get used to. And what do people experience? You know, how do they? How does their sleep change? And how quickly? And what do they tell you? Yeah, sometimes it's right away, and sometimes it takes a little bit. Uh, what we know about is that when people have sleep apnea, their throat is kind of battered from it and inflamed, and there. And the saying is that uh, studies show that you need to basically three months for all that to settle down. So there is a long term, but uh, improvement by by not having the condition and breathing through your nose again, but the change can be right away. Usually, you know, we, we put it into the patient. Uh, it's very easy to, to put in and train them and adjust it, fine tune it. And then we give them two weeks and come back and then they, we do a fine tune with any pressure on the teeth. So the goal is just to find the, the best position for it. And then to have them breathe through their, um, breathe through their nose and to, um, make sure that it's as comfortable on the teeth as, as you can make it also. We just got a contract. We, we just got a contract with the Air Force where we're going to be doing studies to give them to their their uh, personnel uh, and combine this with a, a system that will find the right position for them to be in and to maximize uh, the effectiveness of this. Uh, so I'm very excited about that program, which is going to begin in a few months. Well, that's great. Um, what about the person's jaw? Do they get jaw pain? Does it activate TMJ? I mean, like, does it yeah. sleep safe over time? Yeah, actually, that's it's, it's another good issue. Um, a lot of times in the initial examination, we want to look at the person's bite. What what you want to think of teeth as, both for jaw problems, TMD, and head and neck pain, which jaw, jaw's, you know, jaw's the most sensitive part of the body, the jaw and the hands. As far as real estate, a third of your brain sensory and motor area goes to your mouth throat. We talk, we kiss, we breathe, we swallow. All this stuff takes incredible sensitivity. Chewing, where we're using incredible muscles that have to be coordinated. So the brain has a lot of actions and sensitivity to the mouth and teeth. That's why teeth hurt so much when you have a cavity. That it's that that nerve tissue is not there to tell you have a cavity. It's there for normal function. So. Um, the way that your teeth support your jaw in space is important to the health of your jaw joint, your facial muscles, and to your airway. And the um, jaw, uh, a lot of times, ortho, the way orthodontics was done was actually harmful to those systems because we extracted teeth, we used headgear, um, we tend to close things down, or people didn't grow, grow right and had a deep bite that with a retruded jaw. And so... If you have those pre-existing conditions and you bring the jaw forward, um, it actually likes that. It it has less pressure in the jaw joint. It, the muscles are actually supported better. And then you take it out when in the morning and you have to squeeze up. It's kind of like it's, you're putting on a shoe that's a couple sizes too small for you and your, your jaw has to squeeze together. So um, that's something. That's a reason why instead of using over-counter things, you should have a, a dentist who knows what they're doing and could evaluate all these things because 
you know, there's big issues to manage to make sure that it's safe and to inform the patient about, you know, th their particular condition and what they might expect. So that's part of the science of, of uh, pra practicing uh, dental sleep medicine. Oh, so the, are there over-the-counter like boil and bite, you know, cheapo oral appliances out there? Yes, there are. And then are they actually dangerous or are they just not very efficacious? Well, they're not very efficacious. They have to be bulky and they have to be, um, you know, one size fits all. There's some of them you heat up and you, you press your teeth in and mold it to your teeth uh, while it's hot. Um, but again, it's bulkier and it, it's not as easy to individually adjust it. It's also, you're not getting managed on any of your potential problems. Some people use it to see, okay, uh, if I advance my jaw, would that be helpful to me? And that's not a bad way, you know, to do it. Uh, um, it's kind of a, well, you know, will this have the potential for helping me? So, um, in order to get an oral appliance, you'll go to what your primary care first and then to a specialized dentist like you or a sleep scientist, sleep doctor. I mean, what's yeah, the protocol? Do you do a sleep study? Yeah. You want to get, um, you, you want to get a sleep study and get a diagnosis, which has to be done through a doctor. Um, so you, you, your diagnosis is through your physician, hopefully a sleep specialist, uh, or your, any physician can order the sleep study. Uh, sleep specialists read it and evaluate this, this study. And then uh, you, you get a prescription. Now, most of the time, the, the physicians are going to want you to have CPAP. And even though their own practice parameters say that first-line treatment from mild to moderate, if you fall in that category, is either oral appliance or CPAP, there is a training special. Uh, um, there's a training bias for physicians to do CPAP and try to get you to be successful with CPAP. The standard of care is that if you have severe, you should try CPAP first. And if you fail CPAP for any reason then oral appliances are indicated for severe. Um, so if you have mild to moderate, you should be able to go to your doctor and say, listen, I, I know that I prefer to have a mouthpiece rather than the cumbersome, uh, you know, CPAP, which if I travel, if I, you know, sleeping with a partner, uh, young people, if they're dating, they're, you know, they're not going to, um, it's going to be, you know, something that they're not going to want to use. So, um, the diagnosis is medical, and then a trained dentist should be doing the appliance for you. And, um, and not all dentists are trained in this, so it's it's something that is new, and that um, the schools are starting to teach that. But you want to make sure your dentist. You want to go to somebody really who's who got a lot of experience in this. Yeah, how do you know? I mean, I guess when you you should ask your dentist, uh, hey, do you deal with uh, with sleep disorders or? If you're looking for a new dentist, when you call around, you should ask that question. Is that the best one? Yeah, you should ask your dentist, you know, is, if they're a general dentist, you're seeing them for regular care and pretty much all day long they're doing, you know, they're good dental work. Um, you know, and every once in a while they make an appliance for somebody. You probably want somebody who's kind of dedicated their practice and, uh, to do a, a lot of sleep apnea and have a good experience like anything else. You, you know, you go to a at uh, your family practitioner, and then they refer you to an ear, nose, and throat do doctor for your nose. They don't, you know, they'll do some of it themselves. But if the, if you need something, they refer to a specialist. And this is something that's the same, you know, thing is that you should have somebody who's well trained and versed in in this therapy.
Um, if uh, when you see patients or when a dentist sees patients, can they tell based on what's going on in the mouth or the distribution of plaque or things like that that the person might have sleep issues? Or does the person have to say something? Um, well, you, we're trying to get dentists to screen for things like high blood pressure and health, you know, general health things because people see their dentist more regularly for uh, cleanings and things like that than they, they do their family physician. Uh, so hopefully dentists are asking, you know, hygienists are talking to their their uh, patients, uh, how's your sleep, you know, you're tired during the day, is your husband keeping you up, your wife, you know, wife, whatever, snoring uh, can be a problem for the bed partner. Um, and they should do enough screening that they could refer, say, hey, I think you should tell your doctor that you might have sleep apnea and get a sleep study or refer them to a sleep study. Um, so dentists should should help screen the patients who need this, but patients should start recognize if they're tired during the day, if their um, you know, partner's snoring or they're snoring, various things that uh, indicate that they have sleep apnea. The thing about apneas is that it's just like a dream. You wake up and you had a dream, and uh, most of the time you, you can remember a dream for a few seconds, and then it kind of fades away because it doesn't get stored in long-term memory. Your disruptions over the night are not stored in long-term memory, so you're, you're, you're basically jolted awake by choking all night long, but you don't remember any of that. You just feel tired during the day instead of when you wake up instead of rested. So you start to pay attention to how you feel, you know, when you wake up and if you fall off during the day or have trouble staying awake at meetings, you know, that you should do something about it because that's affecting your, your overall health and it can be, you know, cause of death. No, the accidents, things like that. Uh, being watery and just annoyed at everyone around you, you can't focus, can't concentrate. You know, yeah, I understand. Yeah, um, do you sex life too? You're, you're. It's mm. if you don't have enough sleep, it's the equivalent of being drunk. Yeah, not in a good way either. Yeah, <laughs> none of the happy buzzing benefits. You know, with I know they're limited. Um, do you see a lot of people are surprised when they're, you know, when they do a sleep study and they're told that they have apnea? Not really. Most people kind of had a, you know, they hear enough about it now and they had a hunch. It's it's almost that there's there's a little bit of self-selecting that the people who go in for sleep studies are the ones that, hey, you know, I, I probably do need this test. So majority of sleep studies come out positive, but that's because of that uh, selection that's happened before they, you do the test. It's not like a routine test that you're going to get your blood done anyway, you know, every year. You, it, it's something that you only go in for a reason. And what about home sleep study versus in a lab? Are yeah. both okay? They're both okay. And uh, insurance companies are now kind of taking over medical care and requiring home sleep tests because they cost about one-tenth to one-twentieth of an overnight sleep study in a, med a sleep center. So uh, a lot of insurances now are, are using home tests. Patients like it. It's convenient for them. Um, you know, they put on the being going into a strange place and having somebody watch you all night and being hooked up from head to toe, uh, interrupt sleep. We hear it all the time. I don't, I don't know how they could have got any data from that test. I don't think I slept all night. Um, but you did sleep some of the night and they're using that data during your sleep. So, um, they're both see a, a full sleep test is looking not just at obstructive sleep apnea, there's a whole uh, seven or eight different 
sleep conditions uh, from narcolepsy, cataplexy, you know, restless leg syndrome. There's other medical conditions that are better um, looked at with or need full nights uh, in-house sleep studies. Obstructive sleep apnea is a blockage of your throat and airway, and that does home sleep tests do a, a good um, job of recognizing that. So um, what do you see as the future of uh, sleep science? Where is it going? Just more awareness of it? Uh, there are new gadgets coming? Well, there's, there's, we're always looking for ways to improve things. Um, in this field, you know, there's, there's a company that's doing surgical implants that recognize when you have the apnea, and it's almost like a, a heart pacemaker. Um, you see a lot of advertising uh, for that. You know, it's expensive. It's very invasive. Um, I, I can't understand how the medical profession in general would go to to that. To me, it's not ethical to go to something like that unless the patient requested um, without trying something that's more cost-effective, less invasive, and reversible. So... Um, uh, it's expensive, so there's technologies like that. Um, there's surgeries that can be done uh, to basically facial reconstruction surgeries. Again, very um, you know, they, there's a risk to do that. It's you know, basically cutting your upper jaw free and your lower jaw free, moving it and putting plates in to keep it in place. Um, so the you know, we're always looking for better ways to treat things and. Uh, we're, we're not going to stop with, with sleep apnea. There's also looking at medications, you know, what, what, uh, what medications might, um, be helpful. And there, there haven't, I don't know of any that they found, but I know that they're, they're looking at things like that and they've identified some possible, um, routes to do that with, but right now the state of the art is mechanical opening the airway through mm-hmm. repositioning or air splinting with CPAP. Okay. Well, very good. Um, you know, unfortunately, not everyone can see you, um, but where can they find out more about the Oasis and where can they find out more about your particular practice? What's local to you? Where can they go? Yeah. So I'm uh, Mark Abramson, DDS, and I'm in Redwood City, California. So they can look that up. Um, the appliance is called the Oasis, O-A-S-Y-S. And our laboratory is called Dream Systems Dental Laboratory in Roseville, California. So all those can be Googled. Uh, we can find dentists in other areas. If you call the lab or the office, uh, we can find out people who use our appliance in different areas. And uh, you should get your sleep addressed so you can have good, healthy, deep sleep and live a long, healthy, happy life. Very good. Yeah. Well, Mark, thanks so much for coming to the podcast again. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Nice to talk to you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.